0: All right. Appreciate our worship team preparing us for uh, worship, and uh, let me join in welcoming you this morning. If you're a guest, we're especially glad that you're a part of our worship experience. Whether you're here in person or joining us online, and uh, we do hope and pray during the course of this service, during the course of the week, as God's Spirit uh, speaks to us through the worship of His His people, singing songs of praise and adoration, the proclamation of the Word, uh, prayers being offered to the God of grace and mercy. Uh, We do and anticipate that uh, his spirit will speak to our hearts and maybe for some of you that means becoming a Christian, becoming a follower of Jesus Christ and uh, we would love to come alongside with you and have a conversation about that and the implications of that or maybe you're already a follower of Christ but you need to be a part of a church family, uh, a community of faith and we would love to have that conversation as well so you can always text that word "fl respond" to the number eight three three five seven one three four seven five, 571 3475 and we can follow up with you immediately and uh, have a conversation with you and pray with you about the decision the Lord is laying on your heart, and we look forward to that, all right? Well, this morning, I want us to open our Bibles to Jeremiah chapter one, a passage that I think has such uh, relevance for our lives today and can be impactful for uh, who we are in Christ uh, Christ Jesus and uh, where our identity is established as as a people of God so I want us to look at chapter 1 in particular in the book of Jeremiah as we consider the topic of competing with the complex because Jeremiah was a young man that had an inferiority complex, and uh, we are in a day and time where many struggle with that sense of identity, a uh, sense of inadequacy. So I think it is a passage that uh, will certainly speak into each of our hearts and perhaps bring us to a greater appreciation of who we are uh, as believers and followers of Christ. Because whatever, whatever real or imagined physical or psychological deficiencies that uh, that cause someone to have a, a, a complex uh, a complex and a sense of, of inadequacy, feeling inferior to others. I do believe that that kind of inferiority complex and in a sense of inadequacy, I believe that that is actually exacerbated in the day and time of social media and a day and time of social media prevalence in which we live, where everyone, is holding forth for everybody else a lifestyle that is to be envied, that is to be desired. And when you get caught in that rabbit hole, and that's all you're watching and looking at, uh, this lifestyle that's being held forth in social media, uh, you, begin, you can begin to question your worth and your value. How have you fallen short? How have you uh, failed to measure up? And so I think that if we are honest, we have all had that experience and that time, season in life where perhaps we had an inferiority complex, where we struggled with those those feelings of of inadequacy. So how do we overcome that? And how do we come to a place where we truly appreciate, as, as followers of Christ, how do we appreciate and come to realize once and for all and hold to the conviction that we are of strategic importance to God? But the God who marks the fall of the sparrow, the God who numbers the very hair on our heads, uh, the God who sent forth to die on the cross for us, for those who would be his people, how do we come to embrace once and for all our identity in Christ that you and I are of strategic importance to God? That you matter that you were born, that your existence truly matters within the redemptive purposes of God. The psalmist would say that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that there is something unique and distinctive about you and the providential purposes of God and the design of his created order. You are fearfully and wonderfully Made. You're unique. You're distinct. Jeremiah, I think, expresses it in a way that is even more vivid. The word of the Lord came to him saying, there in verse 5, we'll just look at that first clause for a moment. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, you're not just some piece of biological tissue. You are not just the result, the random result of a union between male and female, between a male sperm and a female egg. You're you're not just some biological material that that resulted from a male-female union. No, not at all. On the contrary, in the divine created order of God's universe, knew you I formed you and before I formed you in the womb of your mother I knew you we are each one of strategic importance to God because don't miss this simple truth church what God has said of Jeremiah That before I formed you in the womb, that I knew you, it is no less true of you. It is no less true of you. So, how do we come to this place of embracing our strategic importance to God, to appreciating the fact that we are loved, that we are matters, that we have been born, that it's significant. And it's something that we each one, every one of us in this room, need to learn to embrace and appreciate, that we need to be connected. We see ourselves identifying that our name is important, that we have been born, that it matters as a result of of being a product that matters, a birth that matters, a person that matters, a name that matters. I am connected with people that matter. Your name matters. But you know, when I'm doing an interview with prospective ministerial staff over the past 39, 40 years, I've developed a, a questionnaire. In my my questionnaire, it's kind of got some traction. Other churches have asked for it, their personnel committees, their search committees, uh, other pastors have asked for it. Uh, I've even had business leaders who have asked for it because it's so extensive and so thorough. But my questionnaire is divided between personal and professional and theological for a ministerial position. And whenever, I, whenever someone requests this questionnaire, they've heard about it, they request, they call me, they text me, they request it, they're always taken back by the personal section. And they, they're always curious why I ask a series of questions because they're always taken back and wonder why those kind of questions matter. Because what I have in that personal section, some of the questions I ask of a potential ministerial candidate is, is are, your, are your grandparents involved in your life? Tell me about your family. How often did you see your grandparents? Are both sets of grandparents still alive? How often growing up did you see your grandparents? How often did you go to family reunions? Tell me about your aunts, uncles, your cousins. How often do you see them? And people will say to me, I don't understand the relevance of these questions. And I say, Well, what I'm doing is I want to see how many, how many arenas and how many rings of accountability that this individual has a sense of in their life because if they choose to do something, oh, I'll say ignorant, something that is going to be sh- bring shame to their name, shame to our church, shame to their family, I want to know how many layers they have of accountability in their life that are going to be disappointed if they do something they shouldn't do. I don't want a Lone Ranger. I want people connected. Those individuals with layers of accountability, layers of family in their life, they have a sense of identity. They have a stronger sense of who they are, what they are about, those to whom they are accountable. And the thing is, is that Jeremiah had all of that. Jeremiah came from a tribe of people. He came from a family with whom he connected. And and we see that even with all of these layers in his life, and it points to to this enigma, this mystery, as to why some people have inferiority complexes and a sense of inadequacy that you would think they never struggled with. They had strong family. They had strong friends. They have strong community. And yet, like Jeremiah, they still struggle, and we don't know why. And we don't know why in our lives, do we? Because if we're honest, we've all had those times when we struggled with this very same kind of inadequacy. That sense of inadequacy that you're just not up to the task. So how do we deal with that? How did the Lord deal with it in the life of, of Jeremiah, his prophet? His prophet. Well, let's begin by looking here. The, the first thing that, notice verse 6. Well, let's jump on down to verse 6 and pick up here. But the first thing that, that the word of the Lord deals with in, in coming and in speaking and calling Jeremiah, a calling that is not unlike ours, being called to faith, being called to service. It begins with, with your unexcused inferiority. Because when the call of God comes to Jeremiah, that's what he starts doing. He starts making excuses. His his inferiority complex emerges. Then I said, oh Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak. That's his first excuse. We're going to see that it's inexcusable. Oh Lord, behold, I I do not know how to speak because, because I am a youth. Now, if you go back and read chapter 1 in in its entirety, you see it deals with the call of of Jeremiah. And the thinking of Jeremiah is is that I'm I'm from an an insignificant place. He's from the city, the the, the little community doing a disservice calling it a little It's not even a bump in the road. It's north of Jerusalem, a little place called Anathoth. It's an insignificant place, an impoverished place a place of insignificant people in in the social structure of Israel in that day and time. And so the the thinking of, of Jeremiah is, I come from an insignificant place, I come from insignificant people, therefore, what? I'm insignificant. But the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah and says, Jeremiah, I want you to bear my word before kings. And the first blush impulse of Jeremiah is let's pump the brakes on this, God. Let's rethink this a little bit. You know, I don't have the gift gift of of public speaking. I don't speak well. And besides, I'm a youth. I really don't don't know what I should probably know if I'm going to speak to the things of God. Maybe, maybe, Maybe we ought to just wait on that. He had an inferiority complex. He had feelings of inadequacy. Now when we talk about an inferiority complex, sense of inadequacy, it's not just, it's not just individuals. It can be, it can be uh, in, any organization, organizations, business, churches can have, can have an inferiority complex. They're, they're confronted with some great task. And their first thought is we can't do this. This can't be done. This can't be a comp- You know, the timing's not really right. Maybe if the circumstances were different, you know, we'd be willing to, to give this a shot. It's an inferiority complex. And the tragedy of an inferiority complex, whether it's in the life of an individual or an organization, is that those who live with an inferiority complex and a sense of inadequacy is they're always waiting always waiting and they do nothing and it's very a very real possibility that you can go an entire lifetime with this inferiority complex this the sense of inadequacy and all the things that you feared all the things that you thought could possibly happen they never happen and the tragedy is is that life is wasted and they're always waiting. Life is always in a holding pattern. They're, they're always waiting for circumstances to change. It reminds me of a cartoon I saw one time of a psychiatrist, and he's telling his reception to go out into the waiting area, and he, he tells the, uh, his, uh, his receptionist, he says uh, he said, going out in the reception area, and he said, send in the paranoids first. He said, because those with an inferiority complex, he said, they don't mind waiting are always waiting, always waiting for circumstances to change. But see, as a people of God, this is where faith should be your deliverance, where your faith and your relationship with Christ should be so profound and so integral in, in your life that you realize that you are of worth, that you are of value, you you are not inadequate, that God has shaped you, he has formed you, and he has fashioned you. Because does not the crucifixion of Christ, God sending forth his son into the world to die for humanity so that all who would respond in faith and trust might might be saved, does not the cross of Jesus point to your significance it magnifies your significance, not your inadequacy. And it may seem more noble to some and more spiritual to walk around hanging our heads and, and, "Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. But listen, we are called to pick up our cross, not to annihilate ourselves on the altar of self-doubt. That, Jesus sent, that God sent forth his son means that you are of immeasurable worth. That you are a person that has been created to bear forth the glory of God. One of the things that I always appreciated in talking about a sense of knowing who you are and that's really what this is about, is embracing and appreciating who you are, what God has created you to be. And that was a turning point for me. You know, I had a sense of inferiority when I, when I first started in ministry. and had this sense that God was calling me to do this. I thought it meant I had to be like somebody else. But we have to come to a place where we realize that if God wanted it in this struggle that you sometimes have when, when you're dealing with inferiority, complex, and a sense of inadequacy, a lot of times you start looking at other people and say, well, I need to be like them. No. If God wanted another person like them, they would have cre- he would have created another one of them. God created you to be you. Your unique, distinctive personality, you and your distinctive giftedness, you and your distinctive person— has been strategically created by God for a redemptive purpose. It's not about being like someone else. If you're going to overcome your sense of inadequacy, it's never about becoming like someone else. It's about embracing who you are and being you and being comfortable with that. One of the things I always loved about the late... Barbara Bush, former First Lady Barbara Bush, is just her sense, her sense of who she was, knowing who she was and being comfortable in her own skin. When her husband first took office, when President Bush first went into office, uh, there was that natural comparison. There was such a contrast between First Ladies, between Nancy Reagan and, and Barbara Bush. And someone asked her about that soon after her husband went into office. It was a conversation, an interview, and someone was comparing her to, uh, to Nancy Reagan. And she, um, she acknowledged it with perfect comfort. Yeah, you know, Nancy and I actually have a great deal in common. She said, Nancy adores her husband. She said, I adore my husband. She said, Nancy fought the war on drugs. I'm fighting a war on illiteracy. She said Nancy was a size two. She said my left thigh is a size two. (laughs) She was comfortable in who she was. She wasn't going to try to be like someone else. Jeremiah, Bobby, you fill in your name, before I formed you In the womb I knew you you were designed as I desired you to be for a strategic purpose and when you can finally get to that place embracing your faith and understanding your faith in this way two things happen first of all it frees you up mentally It frees you mentally from the waste of that energy of trying to be like someone else. And all the more, it frees you up now to discover the grandeur of everything God has in store for you. And how he desires to use you. But there's more to this besides this unexcused inferiority. Notice in verses 5 and then verses 7 and 8. These verses point to God's sovereign authority. Verse 5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. But the Lord said to me, and this is after Jeremiah has made his excuse about being unable to speak and being of a youth. The Lord said to me, do not say, in verse 7, do not say I am a youth because everywhere I send you you shall go and all that i command you you shall speak do not be afraid of them for i am for i am with you to save you declares the lord now jeremiah feelings the, the feelings of jeremiah that that he was inferior They've actually been trumped now by the superiority of God. Yeah, okay, Jeremiah, I I, I see how you see yourself. But but what what God is saying now is, but Jeremiah, what I want you to understand is that this calling I'm placing upon you, it's not about you. you. You're making excuses that are inexcusable. Because the calling that I'm extending to you, whether it's as a prophet or to become a follower of Christ, it's not about you. It's about me. It's about God. It's about what God desires to do in you, what God desires to fashion in you. This this isn't about your inadequacies. You're pointing to your your inefficiencies, what you perceive as being inadequate and insufficient. This isn't about you. You see, God is the agent working here. I formed, I consecrated, I have appointed, I've commanded. It's the sovereign authority of God. This is about what I am going to accomplish through you that people would have never anticipated. People will know this is about me and it has nothing to do with you. Oh, Paul would remind us of that that same tactic that that God uses over in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1. Listen to what Paul writes to the church at Corinth. Corinth. In verse 27 he says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and God has chosen the weak things. that you and I, we're the foolish things, we're the weak things. That God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And in 2 Corinthians Paul would hold forth himself as, as exhibit A of how God uses weakness to portray his strength and his authority, his supreme reign. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, listen to the beginning of verse 7. Because of the extraordinary greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that, that it might leave me. And he had said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness." Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, Paul says, listen, I love this. He said, therefore, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in distresses, in persecutions, in difficulties in behalf of Christ. For when I am weak, then God is strong. You see, you call the cast. We're in good company. We're in great company. Don't think it's just you that struggles with, with a sense of inadequacy, this inferiority complex. It's always the entirety of God's people that have to break through the other side of this sense of inadequacy. Look at the cast of, of, some, of, God's, some, of the God's, some of God's most prestigious. I mean, look at Moses. Moses said, I can't speak. It's like Jeremiah. He said, I can't speak inadequate, inferior. Now Moses was a little different from Jeremiah. Jeremiah claimed his youth. Moses said, I'm too old. Moses was 80 years old when he was called by God. It's inexcusable. It's not about you. It's not about you being unable to speak. It's not about you being 80 years old. It's about the work that I'm going to do through you. Gideon. Gideon was from the smallest tribe. Again, he's not unlike Jeremiah. You'll see a pattern. You will see a common thread that runs through the life of these that God calls from the least likely places and uses most mightily. Gideon was one of them. I'm from from the littlest tribe, the smallest tribe. I'm from a little city. I'm a little person. I'm the youngest in my family. It's not about you, Gideon. It's about me and what I'm going to do through you. Isaiah. Like Jeremiah, he pled his youth and his inability. Or he even tried to show great humility that, that his sin was going, make, made him and rendered him inadequate. For I'm a man of unclean lips. Lord, you need somebody who's more cleaned up and polished than me. The lesson through these and, and so many others is that God doesn't need our skills. He needs our willingness. He needs our willingness. You see, he has given us everything that we need. Remember that first clause? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I know the plans and the purposes that I have for you. I know the strategic importance of your life and your existence. So even before I fashioned you, I knew what you needed to be so that you strategically and providentially, under my sovereign authority, could accomplish everything that I have in store for you. A turning point. I think, I know for me and I think for you, is when you come to a place where you can say, you know what, I just need to embrace the fact that I am inferior, that I don't have the skill set to be somebody else. That's not what I'm called to be. But that God has given me a unique personality, he has fashioned me into a unique person so that I can accomplish the purposes that he has in store for me. And it happens when you understand that the sovereign authority of God is always greater and will always trump your inferiorities. There's a final thing very quickly, not just your unexcused inferiority, not just God's sovereign authority, but also our, our communal identity. Because our communal identity is a commissioned identity. You see, God has saved us. He has set us apart for a redemptive Purpose. He has is, he is given and entrusted to us a mission, a cause, a purpose. And if our mission is something that comes from God, then He is a God that can be trusted. If we are the means by which the redemptive purposes of God are going to be accomplished, if this is in fact why He has commissioned us, then God is going to provide for us in a way that is sufficient. Notice in verses 17, being in verse 17, Jeremiah 1 the instruction to Jeremiah now belt your garment around your waist and arise it's time to get up spending too much time between your ears it's time to get up it's what the people of God do they arise they get up they go out we get off our off our seat on our feet and in the street that's a commission that's what a commissioned people do they don't sit soaking sour in sanctuaries Jeremiah, let's bust out of this mode this way. Get out. You need to get out from between your ears. It's time to arise and to speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed. That is, don't be struck with fear or dread. Do not be dismayed before them or I will make you dismayed before them. Now behold, I've made you today like a fortified city. This is what I've fashioned each one of you to be a fortified city and a, like a pillar of iron and walls of bronze against the whole land to the kings of Judah, to its leaders, to its priests, and to the people of the land. And they will fight against you, but they will not overcome you. For I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. Having understood that his inferiority is inexcusable, that God's authority is sovereign. Jeremiah has now come to a place of realizing that he is someone that has been commissioned by God and that he is sufficient, now he is sufficiently motivated and equipped and to be about the work that God has entrusted to him. You see, God's faithfulness always trumps our inadequacies. God's faithfulness, his promise, is that what he has called you to do, what he is calling you to do, you can rest assured that by the power of his spirit, he is going to give you everything that is necessary for you to fulfill your strategic role in this world. So I think it begs the question, what is God calling you to? I know God, I know that God's Spirit, that he's calling some today. Whether here, in person, or online, he's calling some to become followers of Christ. You've been thinking about that for a long time. God's Spirit is speaking to your heart, tugging at your heart. You feel this sense of of conviction that I need to give my life to Christ and follow after him. That's a call of God's Spirit. And we want to help you in answering that call and understanding that call. Maybe for some of you, it's a call to serve. To serve in some capacity, but you've always had an excuse. It's always some feeling of inadequacy, inferiority. Maybe a call to to teach, be a part of our Bible study ministry. Oh, I, I just don't like public speaking. Yeah, I just don't really know my Bible well enough. Listen, if you participate in our Bible study ministry, you can be assured, as the under-shepherd of this church, it is my responsibility regarding the teaching ministry of this church, what is taught to you as the people of God. That responsibility rests upon me. And you can be sure that me and the staff that this church has called, we're going to make sure if we, if we ask you to be a part of the teaching ministry of our church, we are going to adequately train you and equip you. You're, you're not, you're not, a, you're not a, a loan contractor. You're not an independent agent. No, when we ask you to teach, we're, we're going to put in your hands trusted materials from trusted authors. Our Bible study material now, for the most part, is written by individuals that I know from my seminary days that are friends of mine, trusted voices. I I wouldn't just give that over to anyone. So you can be sure we're going to put in your hand the very best of resources that are available to teach you the Word of God. So our excuses are always excusable. Because I have found that God is faithful. When God called me to, when I had that sense as a new believer of God calling me to be a pastor, that was with fear and trepidation. I knew being a pastor was going to involve preaching. And I I had a phobic-like fear of public speaking. I mean, my first sermon was seven minutes long, and I didn't leave a word out. My mentor, Paul Powell, a good friend, the late Paul Powell, I remember after my first sermon, he said, Dagnall, I want to talk to you. He said, that sermon you preached yesterday, he said, first of all, first of all, he said, you went too fast. Uh, Obviously, I did when I went seven minutes and didn't leave anything out. He said, you went too fast. He said, you read it. And he said, thirdly, what you read wasn't worth reading. Now Now, he was a friend, and I was able to take it in a jesting way, at least I hope it was you know with that kind of fear that I had of thinking because when I was asked to preach that sermon I was asked to preach at this mission church that we had and I was asked to preach the next four Sundays and I thought my soul I've said everything I know about God in seven minutes and now I've got to turn around and do it three more times in successive weeks man I was physically nauseous but you know what I always believed And I never wavered in this conviction. Even as bad as I was starting out, inept, fearful, nauseous, I never wavered in the conviction that if this is what God has called me to do, he will be faithful. If I stay faithful to the task, he will be faithful in his task in training and equipping me, putting people into my life that are necessary to become the pastor I need to become. We all deal with these feelings of inadequacy. But we need to appreciate who we are in Christ Jesus. We are unlike the animals in the field. We are the crowning glory of God's creation. We are created to bear forth the glory of God. That's why he sent his son to deal with the corruption of our lives and our nature that has resulted from sin. And when you can appreciate who you are in Christ Jesus, what God has done through Christ Jesus, listen, your inferiorities will fade fade away. And it's when your identity, without reservation, when your sense of personhood, when your sense of identity, being, and existence is in him and him alone not being defined by the world but in him and him alone your inferiorities will fade away let's pray together our father might we be rooted and grounded as a people of god in a world that is constantly trying to mold us and shape us into something else, in a world that is constantly trying to shape our identity into something that is corrupted, Father, might we once and for all seize the identity that is to be had and known and lived in Christ Jesus so that in this, our inadequacies will fade away and we are all the more available to be used by you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed with this blessing that comes from Second Peter in chapter 3 beginning in verse 14. Therefore, beloveds, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found spotless and blameless by him at peace and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation just as also our beloved brother Paul according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. As also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which there are some things that are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of scriptures to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unscrupulous people and lose your own firm commitment, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.